Welcome to another installment of The Policy Shop, the Illinois Policy Institute's podcast. I'm Joe Kaiser, and this week, lawmakers are back in Springfield. Is that good news or bad news? Well, on today's episode, Mindy Ruckman, Illinois Policy Government Affairs Legislative Analyst, gives us a scoop about what lawmakers are up to in the Capitol during this fall's veto session. What exactly is veto session, you ask? Mindy will explain the ins and outs of it and tell you what key bills you need to keep an eye on as well as give a preview on what the next General Assembly's legislative priorities might be when it convenes in January. All this and much, much more analysis from someone with expert insight from the State House is right here, and it begins right now. What is veto session and why should taxpayers pay close attention to what's going on in Springfield right now? So veto session uh, happens, it takes about two weeks and it happens in the fall, usually every fall. So as a little bit of a primer here, um, from May, or excuse me, from January to May when the General Assembly is in town for the regular session, that's when they pass uh, basically everything that they want any new laws and bills to go through, that's when they pass them. Over the summer, any bill that makes it out of both the House and the Senate then goes to the governor's desk. And the governor at that point has the option to say he approves of the bill, in which case he signs it, or he uh, will issue some sort of veto of it. And so he can issue a total veto, meaning that he disagrees with all of it and he rejects it entirely. Or he can issue an amendatory veto, which says, I like the concept, here are the things I would change, and he returns it back to the General Assembly as well. And so veto session is when the General Assembly comes back to Springfield, and it's their opportunity to either accept the governor's changes of a bill or to attempt to override um, any veto that he has issued. Now, last week there was something like 30 or 40 bills that were the vetoes were overturned. Is that number high or is that pretty normal for a veto session? I would say it's pretty high. And the reason that it's pretty high is because there were a lot of bills that were vetoed in the first place. Uh, the governor had was over 70 bills that he had sent back to the general, meaning he issued some sort of veto on, which is pretty high. Um, so what that tells us is that what the General Assembly sent to the governor they're not on the same page with. Um, and so, yeah, 30, almost 40 bills being overridden in one week, or at least almost being overridden, is, um, I would not say, in the normal. It's not good for Governor Rauner. So th- that's interesting, and it's not good for him. Um, obviously, if you, if you look at the political angle to it, some Republicans weren't happy with him, so that, that could encourage them to change their votes on certain things. Um, what bills were you in particular looking at either last week that have already been there's already been action taken on them or looking forward what's some what's some uh, what are some pieces of legislation that you're keeping an eye on yeah so actually i want to touch on a point that you had said with uh republicans not being happy with him so this le- this veto session has been very um there's really no rhyme or reason to the way that lawmakers are voting and 
the primary reason for that is we have uh, a very, very large amount of what we call lame duck legislators. And uh, lame duck is very simple. It's a lawmaker that either they chose not to rerun for office or they um, reran and they weren't elected. Either way, they aren't going to be serving another term. And essentially, they don't have any, um, I guess, any reason to be held accountable by the voters. And so their votes, even though they have full authority as a lawmaker to issue a vote, they have no consequences. So it's pretty stark, and I think that explains why um, why there have been so many things, especially so many bad things overridden. So last week, we had our eye on a handful of some not good stuff. Um, one that stands out, at least in my mind, uh, that was successfully overridden by the House is a bill um, that would have issued um, basically pension perks for Chicago aldermen. So what this did is the bill said that if there was an alderman who used to be a firefighter, they can credit their time as an alderman to the firefighter pension system. And the reason that that's key is because the firefighter pension system is significantly more lucrative and it has better benefits than the municipal uh, pension system, which is what aldermen would otherwise get in. So but looking back on this on a macro level, what this means is that someone who is politically connected used taxpayer time to go to the General Assembly and write a law that benefits this person. Um, I don't think that's a good use of taxpayer funds. And it's really not a good you know, steward of taxpayer dollars in this pension fund that should be devoted to people who are firefighters and who serve their full time as firefighters. That was one that we had our eyes on and is now moving to the Senate. Yeah, that's obviously an oddly specific carve out that it seems pretty obvious from the outside perspective that that was somebody using their their clout to, to get a bill advanced. Now, did that piece of legislation, um, I mean, did, did that get more support now when it was being overridden? Because oftentimes you're going to see in veto session, people are obviously changing their votes to override the veto. Because um, you were talking about, you know, lame duck legislators. Did that end up getting more support this time around than when it was originally passed out of the General Assembly? Off the top of my head, how many supported it the first time around? But um, that's a good question because one distinct thing it needs what's called supermajority of votes. So in order to pass a bill out of the General Assembly in the first place, it just needs a simple majority. 51% is all it needs. But in order to override, they actually need a two-thirds majority of votes in favor, which, of course, is harder to get. Um, in the Senate, the Democrats, if they unify together, they can really override anything they want because they already have a supermajority of Democrats. In the House, that's not the case. They only have a simple majority, meaning that of these almost 40 bills that were overridden, that means that all of them had to have Republicans uh, cross the aisle and vote with the Democrats in order to successfully override. Right. Yeah, that's what's, what's really interesting about veto session is seeing those. And I think the lame duck part of it has a lot to do with it. Seeing Republicans cross over, uh, vice versa, uh, to override a bill. Um, uh, why do you think so? I think something that's been interesting when I've been following veto session the last few years is it seems to get a lot less attention than, you know, regular legislative session. When a bill passes, in the spring session, it might get a lot more attention in the media. But veto session 
doesn't have as much as many headlines around it. And something like this this firefighter pension bill, it should be I think that should be significant news because you have what seems pretty obvious uh, a bill favoring special interests. And now all of a sudden, even though it didn't take the normal route to become law, it's going to become law because it was overridden. What about veto session, in your estimation, um, makes it less of a major headline than the normal legislative process? These things kind of sneak through um, in the fall, it seems like. Yeah, I think there's probably two things uh, that factor into that. The first is, in general, for veto session and regular session, the General Assembly tends to operate um, kind of under a veil. And they do a lot of things not technically behind closed doors, because it's technically public, but they do things in a manner that it's very intentional that um, it would be difficult for your everyday person who lives a full normal life to keep track of. And I think that that is magnified when you get to veto session because in veto session, things just, I mean, it's only two weeks, you know, they're not here for five months, it's only two weeks. And so things move a lot quicker. Um, And because there are less issues at hand, there's less bills they're dealing with, people just don't pay as much attention, period, as they would during normal session. But the bills that are taken up in veto session are just as important as bills that are passed during regular session. Um, They have, you know, they could have good and they could have severely bad um, implication for taxpayers. And I would imagine that because there are less bills that they're dealing with, there's just less eyes on it. But that's unfortunate because even though um, not as many people are watching, they still have the same effect um, and they still could have just as much weight. As we recall, um, back in the, the infamous 2011 tax hike, that passed during a lame duck session. I mean, it was late one hour, one night, the General Assembly brought it up and um, rammed it through. And literally the next morning, everyone woke up and they had a tax hike on their hands. Right. Um, and so, it's it's right around the holidays, too. Like, not only is it is it veto session and, and, and all that, but also like people are not just engaged right now with state politics. Yeah. And it's um, the General Assembly to operate in a manner that is intentionally... Um, you know, intentionally trying to hide it or go under the radar from taxpayers, Uh, which I think brings us up to where we are right now. And that's looking forward. Um, And I would love to say that we could look forward to the next General Assembly. But um, we're hearing rumors that uh, this General Assembly could have some more stuff up their sleeve before they roll out. Um, Unfortunately, this is almost becoming uh, a redo of the 2011 tax hike. The sitting General Assembly and all their lame ducks and everything is talking about bringing up a tax hike on uh, the gas. So it would be a gas tax hike. And make no mistake about it, the intention here is for the lame ducks who have no consequences to vote in favor of this so that new lawmakers coming in don't have to, uh, you know, they don't have to be the ones on the spot dealing with it basically providing, I guess, a political cover for them. Uh, either way, regardless of who votes for it, it's still the taxpayers that get stuck with it. Right. So, yeah, and they're, they're so good at um, doing that political cover thing. Like when you remember in 2017 when they voted on the income tax hike, there are specific Democrats in vulnerable districts that Madigan was able to say, hey, vote no 
because 15 Republicans are going to come over to give them cover. And it really turns people off, I think, when they hear about like the political strategy that goes in on that. And when they hear that, now it's these lame ducks that have no political consequence that could vote to raise your taxes. I, I think that would only frustrate people to know that those are the games that are being played behind the scenes. Yeah, and it's so hard. Uh, you know, I, I mean, my job is every day that they're in session, I'm watching, I watch all of this stuff as it moves. And it's so hard to relay and explain what goes on under the state house to people who um, this isn't their everyday work. But even though people aren't watching it as much, they're still affected as, by it just as much as I am. So it is very, very frustrating. But, you know, um, I guess you know, because me and my team are watching so closely and we're doing what we can to push all this out um, to the public and to people, especially in the Lincoln Lobby group here who are listening, they have an opportunity um, to follow along, especially with the highlights and with the points that affect them so deeply. With with the veto session being so short, um, I guess that, that, you know, pushes for more urgencies to contact your lawmaker. Uh, but how long, you said two weeks, so how long do they have if they were going to act on this gas tax, when's the last time they could do so? So they can do it all the way up until Inauguration Day. Uh, An inauguration happens, um, uh, it'll be January 9th, I believe. It's always the second Wednesday in January, according to our Constitution. And that means that uh, lawmakers that are there right now have up until then. And so the rumors we're hearing, and again, there's still rumors, are that they will come back in January um, for another lame duck session to take up this measure. Um, it could come up in veto, but um, that, that isn't what we're hearing yet. And actually, that's another good point to tell everyone about. Even though veto session, I mean, it's called veto session for that reason. You're supposed to take up veto bills. The General Assembly conveniently has uh, crafted the rules in a way that they can take up any bill that they want. Um, and so... Again, going back to why is it so hard to follow things during veto session, not only is it veto bills that could be brought up, but they could take any bill on any subject and ram it through the process so quickly, um, and there would just be no rhyme or reason to it as far as, you know, the general public is concerned. So these are more things that me and my team are watching this session, and then if they do schedule another lame duck session um, that we'll have our eyes on. And how how uh, quickly can they call another session? How much notice do they have to give? Very little, uh, unfortunately. So Again, it's in their. I, I'm, I'm sorry, Mindy. I was gonna say so it's in their best interest. Like you were talking about before, Springfield working to hide things from taxpayers. It'd be the, in their best interest to do this, call another session abruptly without a little bit of time, and then obviously before the next inauguration, if they wanted to get this gas tax in. Yeah, or they can call it around the holidays, like you said before. You know, everyone's focused on Christmas, as we should be. And then they uh, put it on the calendar for next session, and then people don't see it or people don't pay attention. Right. So that that would be something, I think, as you've intimated, that would come up before the inauguration. If, if taxpayers are able to put enough pressure on Springfield, is it unlikely then when the next general assembly comes in that that's something they would take up or is it, is it specific to wanting to push it in before the next general assembly comes in or is it something that could carry over into the next one um 
I would say that taxpayers right now need to put pressure on their sitting lawmakers who will also be in office next year for the next General Assembly. Because we have, what is it, 37, almost 40 lame duck lawmakers. Well, 40 votes isn't enough to pass a bill. That means there are other people, other lawmakers out there who are going to be serving next year who need to also vote in favor of this. And I think that's where the most pressure. And also, as a reminder of the lame ducks, um, lame duck lawmakers that could be voting on it, that, you know, a reminder that this hurts their communities, even though they don't have consequences, even though they're not running again, uh, it still hurts their neighbors and the people that live in their communities with them. So I think that's where the play needs to be. Um, and all the action, I should say, needs to be is trying to hold the people who do have accountability in line. Um, <clears throat> and to your question of does this carry over, I, it is possible, and I mean, there's a lot of scenarios that could happen, but it is possible that the gen this current General Assembly could pass it and then um, Governor Rauner doesn't get to it, meaning he doesn't have time to sign it or veto it. And so it's just sitting on the desk waiting for the next governor. That, of course, is not a good scenario, um, but uh, it is something that could possibly happen, in which case serious pressure needs to be applied to the uh, Pritzker administration to also not vote in favor of this bad legislation that will hurt taxpayers and ultimately hurt us all. Yeah, especially he he's toyed with a vehicle miles tax. And if he was going to go that route, in addition to an increase in the gas tax, that's really going to hurt taxpayers across the state. Let's look ahead. Um, since you mentioned the next General Assembly, let's look ahead to the next General Assembly. Um, everyone was paying attention to the election. And uh, obviously, Democrats did a lot better um, than Republicans, not just in Illinois, but across the, the uh, country. But now Madigan has a supermajority in the House. This is the most Democrats, the most seats Democrats have had in the state's history. And uh, J.B. Pritzker will be coming in in January to the governor's mansion. Uh, what's your read on legislative opportunities? I know some of our listeners are probably not happy with the election results or a little uh, wary of what might happen, given the fact that J.B. Pritzker is toyed with a progressive tax, a vehicle miles tax, like I said. Um, what's your read on the next General Assembly and maybe some opportunities you see, even though there are prospects for a potential tax hike down the road? I would say I have a little bit more of a positive outlook, probably, than a lot of people have. Um, the Democrats have supermajorities in both the Senate, the House, and uh, all constitutional offices, including the governor. What that means is that the ball is completely in their court and they have every opportunity to affect change. And there is one thing missing uh, that will be missing next year that has been present the last four years, and that's a political struggle. Uh, over the last four years, as Governor Rauner has been in office, it's very unfortunate, but I mean, it, it just it is what it is. Um, one tactic that Madigan has used is constantly sending Governor Rauner um, what you might consider political traps. So he has sent a lot of bills to his desk, um, knowing because they're bad policies, bad legislation, knowing the governor would um, veto those bills or putting him in a bad spot, I should say, and then trying to pit people in the general public against him. Um, that's a tactic that 
Madigan used the past four years. I know he's used it in the past uh, with other governors. Um, and, and I mean, it is what it is. It's not good. It's not a good use of taxpayer time. But what this means moving forward is that at least because they have all the offices and they have all the power, hopefully we won't be seeing these same kinds of um, political attacks and political games. Now, with all of that being said, um, us here at the Institute or at Illinois Policy, we're hopeful because because um, of some of the policies that or legislation, I should say, that we'll be pushing. You know, one bill that um, we had in, in the General Assembly this previous year, we've talked with lawmakers about it, and we will be reintroducing next year, is what we call a budget spending cap. And very simple, um, what this does is it connects uh, the, the growth in state government spending to um, growth in Illinois GDP. So simply put, uh, taxpayers won't be forced to pay for things more than what they can afford. You know, this past year when we had it in the General Assembly, it was we was bipartisan. We had a lot of Democrats and we had a lot of Republicans on, the, on this bill. And that tells us that there are a lot of Democrats in office who um, are willing to make necessary and good reforms in favor of taxpayers. And, uh, you know, I'm very pleased to say a lot of those Democrats uh, have moved forward and will support and hopefully more moving forward with that and other measures similar. Yeah, that one had bipartisan support. And that's something that I think a lot of people, a lot of taxpayers would support that proposal, too, because, like you said, it's a novel idea that, uh, I mean, people live by that and they think government should live by that, too. Um, And now Democrats, since they have control of both chambers and the governor's mansion, there's no like political blame game to say like they're stopping us or there's no political struggle or or there is sorry, there is a political struggle, but there's no like pointing fingers or any kind of strategic move to not doing something. I think that's a reason to be optimistic, like you said, is they kind of have to do things now. There's no there's no excuse making and there's no political games that they can really play. And the spending cap's a good one that you bring up because it does have bipartisan support one, but then two it should be a basic thing that government should do. So really, that like that is something that I think, if we're going to look at anything, should uh, garner bipartisan support, and I would hope would move forward. Yeah, and you know, I, I can say positively that there are a lot of lawmakers um, now and lawmakers coming in, especially Democrats, who feel the weight of Illinois' um, fiscal condition, bad fiscal condition. Um, I truly don't think that a majority of lawmakers are walking around the state house completely oblivious to it all or not caring. I think a lot of them do care. Um, I disagree with a lot of the policies that they've proposed to make it better, um, but I do think that they care. And I think that with, um, you know, pushing from our policy team, good solutions, and then especially activism from the Lincoln lobby um, I think that we can redirect the ship, you know, the ship that Illinois is in um, and put it on a better path. Um, what I always tell people is that, you know, as a lobbyist, I go and talk with lawmakers all the time and they'll talk with me and listen to me. But when lawmakers hear from their own constituents, meaning the people that are voting for them, it carries so much more of a weight than when just your everyday lobbyist talks with them. So. I would encourage um, Lincoln Lobby members, and I would encourage everyone who's listening into this to recognize that they have 
the ability and they have the opportunity to affect change moving forward. Definitely. And I always go back, I think I said this on an earlier podcast, my favorite example of constituents contacting their lawmakers was, I want to say it was two years ago, John Cullerton introduced or was toying with the idea of introducing a vehicle miles tax similar to what J.B. Pritzker has talked about with a GPS in your car. And we informed our community about it. Some other news outlets did the same. And immediately people started flooding his office and their other lawmakers' office with phone calls and emails. And within the same day, John Cullerton retracted the proposal. So even though there are super majorities, I think, I mean, taxpayers know, regardless of how they vote, they know their taxes are too high. They know Illinois spending has been out of control for a long time. They can influence change no matter who's in power just by getting in touch with their lawmakers and staying engaged and and telling their lawmakers they're, they're watching them. Yeah, so uh, it's funny you bring up that um, um, that proposal from before. There's just, I would say, a majority of Americans do not like the idea of the government tracking their everything. No, not at all. Uh, but, you know, this a very similar fight. Um, I can tell you right now, we're going to have next year or at some point in the future, and that's going to be this progressive tax fight. We fought it off this year, um, and we were able to hold it at bay, but I think this is going to be a beast that rears its ugly head again. And this is going to be another uh, moment where people are going to have to speak up and tell all of their lawmakers that they don't want this. So progressive tax, um, you know, for everyone knows about the progressive tax, but it's basically going to be a tax uh, tax hike on everyone. Um, it's kind of the, what do they call it? The wolf in sheep clothing, is that the phrase? They right. insist that it is a tax on the rich and only the rich, and it's going to be great for the middle class. And we know that that is all lies, um, and we know that the math doesn't add up. We know that the economics doesn't add up, um, and we know that this will not be good for taxpayers. So this is the perfect opportunity um, for activists to voice their concern and to raise, um, I guess, raise their collective voice to fight this off again. It's not, I don't think for a minute that the progressive tax is inevitable, um, but it is a threat. And so we do have to keep our noses to the ground on that one. Not only is it not inevitable, it's going to be a long process. Do you think that's something that Democrats will uh, tackle, try to start the process for right when they get into office in January? Or when? when what's the timeline for that? Yeah, well, J.P. Prisker, I mean, he campaigned on it almost his whole campaign he walked around talking about how such a great idea it is now i will point out that he's been talking about how great it is but he never gave us any specifics on what this progressive tax would look like which for obvious reasons should make us highly uh skeptical um but it could come up this session it could come up next session it's something that will yeah if it is passed by the General Assembly, it will land on, um, um, it, it won't happen right away, I guess, I guess is what, what I should say. Um, they can't pass it and then it change overnight. It would have to go to voters first. So uh, we do have a little bit of time um, to kill this thing off, but we do need to get working immediately on that. What other things besides that do you think might come up um, at the start of the next General Assembly? It's a great question. It has to be budget stuff. I mean, we're we're going into we're going into next year with a budget that was what it, what would we say one point six five billion dollars unbalanced. Yep. I mean, they have to start addressing budget stuff right away. 
Um, and aside from another massive income tax hike, uh, meaning of the, of the flat tax rate, which we haven't heard, uh, I don't know how else they would go about doing that. Um, if we see, you know, if this, the, the sitting General Assembly doesn't pass the gas mileage tax, it is possible that when the new General Assembly takes over, we could see that come up again. Um, yeah, I, those are kind of the things that we're, we have our eyes on right now. Um, but I don't know that I can say definitively. Not until it happens, at least, right? Right, yeah. So there's no, there's no sign of what the next General Assembly might do first, right, when they get in? J.B. Pritzker has talked a lot about tax hikes. I think that has been the biggest thing coming through. Um, they have talked uh, quite a bit, actually, about um, other issues like uh, legalizing marijuana, for example. I know that that's another big one that could come up. Um, that even could come up in a lame duck session. If not lame duck, then definitely um, January or February when they come in. I know that there are um, a handful of sitting lawmakers who are very eager to see that pass, um, and they'll be pushing for that. And J.B. Pritzker has given, uh, basically given the green light go ahead on that issue. So we could foresee that one coming up. Um, but those are really the big issues, I would say. Sure. So for taxpayers, for Lincoln Lobby members listening to this, the big thing to follow now in this current session, or I guess it would be a new session if they called it, would be the gas tax before the, the General Assembly. Uh, um uh, departs and the new one comes in. But then when the new one comes in, I guess it's really just fair game to, to watch whatever could come up. Uh, one thing I wanted to ask you before I let you go, um, in your position where you're, you know, talking to lawmakers, but also trying to engage uh, the public and, and keep them informed on these issues. We kind of touched on this before, but I think pessimism is kind of an easy thing to to develop in this state. I mean, we see it all the time. Either people head for the exits, go to a different state, or they just stay and they feel like their voice doesn't matter. When, when you're you know, communicating with lawmakers, but then taking that information back to the public, what kind of message do you give to the people who, you know, they're taxed enough already and they're, they're, they're just kind of, there's an apathy growing and there's pessimism growing. What would you say to them going forward with a new governor, with a new general assembly as to how to stay optimistic and how to uh, you know, keep fighting for, for the state? I think everyone has got to stay tuned in. This is not a time that we can stick our heads in the sand and ignore everything going on, nor is this a time that we can just up and leave. I mean, I'm here, my whole family's here. I can't just head for the border. And so really that's why I fight. Lawmakers do know at the end of the day uh, that these new, uh, what is it, 40 some lawmakers that are coming in and the sitting lawmakers, they know that they are uh, responsible to the voters. And they know, especially through groups like ours, that the veil that they've operated on is being pulled back. And everything that they're doing is now under a microscope, as it should be. So I would say Lincoln Lobby members need to keep checking back here, keep checking back at Illinois policy, and look for opportunities for um, them to be engaged, to call the lawmakers, send emails, sign petitions, um, or what is now my new favorite thing uh coming to our uh, lobby days that we're hosting right and and mindy's done a great job of promoting those and then also giving state house updates in the lincoln lobby uh mindy ruckman government affairs legislative analyst thanks so much for uh joining the show today appreciate it thank you so much joe 
for updates on a potential gas tax hike or any other tax hike or any other piece of legislation. We'll keep you up to date at IllinoisPolicy.org and even more so in our private Facebook group, The Lincoln Lobby. It's going to be an interesting last few weeks here in lame duck session, and Mindy and the rest of the team will be keeping a close eye on all developments. We'll do the same right here, but until next time, this has been The Policy Shop. Thank you.